What's up, guy? What is up, guy? Welcome back. Welcome back to what Josue has to say. Welcome back to my humble little podcast. I've been out for a bit, a little hiatus, but, you know, life is hard. So we're all, we're all out here trying to do our best. Um, but today's episode, however, is about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart, and it's why I am the Miamian that I am. It's about Miami water, guy. Miami water. So the importance of Miami water is really what I wanted to get across in this episode, right? Um, if you live in Miami, you use and abuse the water, you know? So whether it's our beaches, our oceans, our boats and hoes, our bay, our rivers, uh, they all serve so, so many purposes and we enjoy so much of them, right? And outside from just recreational, there's a lot of actual business and important matters to our waters, right? There's transportation of imports and exports, tourism, marine life, our very own enjoyment, like I said, healing properties of the ocean. There's a myriad of reasons, right? And as fellow Miamians, the majority of us not only enjoy it, but it's the reason we have tourism and economy, right, in our city. Without Miami water, there is no Miami. It'd just be another fucking city like the rest of this fucking nation, right? So because of this, I've brought in my own little panel of experts. Just kidding. I just picked up these guys in the middle of the street. Nah, I'm joking. I want them to really help me out with the subject, right? Because I, I don't know much about the Bay except what I've experienced as, as a regular civilian, you know? So we're going to talk a, l- a little bit about the importance of the surrounding bodies of water, the current health, and how we can be better citizens to, to, our, to our home. So each of these men, in my opinion, like I said, are the perfect duo, right? Not only are they Miami citizens, but they have an extreme love for the water. We got Alex Wexler. that is a, He's an avid boater fisherman and he spends his days out in the water i think you're out on the water every time i see you <laughs> surfing around a boat and he's also an artist he does marine life art and then we got kabir parker a marine biologist so what a better mix of individuals to, to come and help me out with this right so let's introduce you to these guys alex you're up first thank you Josue. yeah my name is alex uh i'm a marine artist and uh avid fisherman here in miami starting to learn uh, a little bit of spear fishing from our uh, my uh, my uh, co-partner in this podcast here <laughs> from Kabir, <laughs> um, and I've I've um, originally from uh, the Jersey Shore and have been here for about ten years and moved here for uh, exactly the reason that you said. Um, really came here because this is a big metropolis uh, right next to the ocean, um, and it's amazing. You know, you get three miles away from downtown Miami, and you're looking at what you could consider to be the you know. Just, or you get three miles away uh, from downtown Miami and, you know, you'd think you're in the Bahamas or something. It's crazy. Really yeah, beautiful yeah. waters and uh, reefs and just awesome things to see. So that's that's what brought me here. You got to take care of it, baby. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit why why do you go out fishing? I know you go out on the boat all the time. You're out there. You're swimming. You're surfing. You're, you know, boating. Yeah. Why? Uh, it's, it's my passion. It's what I love. You know, I always have. Um I think a big part for me is just it, the rewards you get from being out there. You put a lot of time, money, energy, effort into what we do, into just being out on the ocean, you know? I got to figure out a boat, and where do you launch the boat? And there's just a lot of steps, a lot of things you have to do. And, but the rewards when you're out there is uh, really what it's about. You see a lot of really cool things. Absolutely. There's, an, there's so, so one thing that I really admire about Alex, and it's the fact that Whenever we we visit the same areas often, so when I see him out on the beach, like after sunset, he's usually out there with our friend Bobby. Shout out Bobby! Um, he's cleaning up the beach. You know, he doesn't have to do that, but there's tons of people that go, not just tourists, but civilians too. That you know, 
people that live in Miami and they trash it and they just don't pick up their shit. And, you know, thanks to people like Alex that care, no, he doesn't have to do that. You know what I mean? Um, but thank you. thank you for not being a piece of shit, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> you thank you so welcome. much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Kabir, you're up, baby. Tell people who the fuck you are. <laughs> What's up, y'all? My name's Kabir Parker. Um, so my story in getting to Miami is a bit international. I was born in Connecticut, but I was raised in New Delhi, India. And there I had the most amazing opportunity of diving some of the most pristine coral reefs in the Indian Ocean. And as I would go back year after year, I was starting to notice that the reefs were in declining condition. And it made me realize that the coral reefs that I had learned to call home were in danger of extinction. And, that's, and it was in that moment when I was like 10 years old, I realized I, de I dedicated <coughs> my life towards the ocean's conservation and preservation. And now I just graduated from the University of Miami. I studied marine science and microbiology, so I'm a big uh, Rasmus guy or Rosenstiel school. And now I'm Get working it. on um, some startups to clean up Biscayne Bay. Yeah. Do we have that issue in Miami, the one you spoke of that made you a uh, marine biologist? Yeah, so the, um, the coral reefs uh, here in Miami, here in Florida, are functionally extinct. So the coral loss is from 95 to 99%. They're basically all gone. So you're saying there's a chance <laughs> of, of reviving <laughs> them? <laughs> I'm afraid not, but there still is a chance for Biscayne Bay, which is why we're here talking about this today. Okay, awesome. So a little background on the topic. It's a little long-winded, but I think it's necessary for the purpose of this discussion. Um, Florida, right? Florida, we have 8,000 miles of coastline and over 800 miles of beaches that help us enjoy and relax. They're a cornerstone of the economy. Uh, they help with climate regulation, which means nature naturally assisting in regulating the climate, such as greenhouse gases, atmospheric chemical compositions, weather patterns. If you haven't noticed by now, I copy and pasted this. It provides us with food and protection from natural hazards. No, but it's important to know, you know? Damn right. Um, but let's emphasize on the economy exactly, because that's unfortunately what most people care about. And if you present uh, apparel to their pocket, then they'll probably listen. So that's what we're doing here. <laughs> Um, so visiting a beach and, and a waterway is the number one activity for Florida's tourists, right? It's the biggest draw to our $112 billion annual tourism revenue. Almost half a million people are directly employed in our ocean economy, which that's insane. That's a lot of fucking people. And all of this, Florida's tourism industry, job market, recreation environment, and even Florida's culture depends on the fucking water. When you think of Florida, you think of sunshine and water. That's all we fucking have. And crazy-ass Florida men. So, um, but Florida's waterways uh, are also particularly vulnerable to pollution because of our low elevation, porous limestone geology. You could tell us more about that because I don't know. <laughs> the dangerous <laughs> dredging projects, discharge of millions of gallons of toxic chemicals, waste, fertilizers, all of this shit into, literal shit, into our waterways. Thousands of pounds of trash and the threat of sea level rise. Dude, all this reminds me of the Simpsons movie. <laughs> the actual the yeah, movie? Yeah, they're going to put a dome on us any second. Oh, now. my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh God. you know, haven't they predicted everything on Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> they have. Seriously. Everything goes back to the Simpsons. <laughs> We're missing the fucking dome. Maybe maybe Miami will fall right out of, outside the dome. You know how Miami kind of escapes everything that's going on in the country, just like besides hurricanes, but like, you know. <laughs> Man. Um, so with all that being said, right, um, I want to start off with the bay. Biscayne Bay. I talked to somebody of mine about the, 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 the bay, what he knew about the bay before I made the episode, and he he knows a little bit about everything. He was like, bro, I don't know much about bay. I'm like, if he doesn't know shit, I don't know shit, then nobody knows shit, you know? So that's kind of the reason why I wanted to make this episode. So since, so, so since most people don't know much about the bay, 
um, I decided to read up on it, and I read an article in 2018 by NOAA, N-O-A-A, that's right, um, that stated that poor water quality could impact Biscayne Bay economy eventually, right? This is, this is something that's, that's impending. Um, <coughs> no shit. I mean, people don't, you know, all yeah. we care about is, uh, you know, yeah. tits and drinking. And well, just to sunshine. say, too, I mean, it amazes me uh, the amount of people that I meet from Miami that have no idea what's just off the shores. It's crazy, right? Like, I, to me, it, it's mind-blowing. because You would it, think they live, like, in fucking Idaho or some shit. Yeah, like, unless they're going out to the sandbar, you know? They're like, oh, I know where Nixon Sandbar is. Bo- you know, Bolton, it's like, Bolton Holes, baby. <laughs> Shout <laughs> yeah. out Bolton Holes. <laughs> but it, it blows my mind, like, the amount of people that I talk to that I'm like, oh, you haven't, you know, tried going snorkeling over here or check this out? Or you show people pictures, and they're like, that reef's off Miami? And you're like, yeah. That's crazy. That's Dude, I mean, I've never been snorkeling. Yeah. I'm 30 years, born and raised. You go, you go 12 miles south, and, and it's some really beautiful diving. Shallow water, too, you know. It's like, yeah, and the water on the right day, the conditions are really good. I'll put you on the spot now in front of all these people. and uh, Take you diving. Take me. All right, you put me on your podcast. I'll take you diving. I can leverage you for this. Um, a little bit about Biscayne Bay before we begin the actual discussion. So... Biscayne Bay is is an estuary. That's another another new word that I that I learned, which is a body of water, right? Which it's more than one river or rivers flow into. Mm-hmm. That's what I kind of you know mm-hmm. gathered, and it's home to our Biscayne National Park, the largest marine park in the U.S. Uh, system, Olita River State Park, Bill Bags, Cape Florida State Park, the Bis- the Biscayne Bay Aquatic Preserve, Barnacle State Historic Site. I've never been to any of these places. I have no idea. Which is what you were saying. And numerous local parks. The bay is also the location for our port, Port of Miami, which is where we get all of our cruises, import, export, hint, hint, economy. That's a a big one. And the bay essentially means many things to many people. It's not just that, you know. Um, Like I said, it's a chunk of our economy. It's a source of environmental education and recreation. Its water shores are used for seafood, wholesale businesses, which is, and it's, yo, it's fish, you know. Like, coming to Miami, we eat seafood. Um, sailing, boating, snorkeling, swimming, bay viewing, sunbathing. I'm really trying to emphasize the fucking point of Biscayne Bay and its importance. But more importantly, the bay is ecologically significant, supporting and nurturing an enormous variety of wildlife, which is directly correlated to the health of the bay. You know, so if the wildlife goes to shit, the bay goes to shit, the economy goes to shit, and everything about Miami just goes to shit. That's what I'm trying to gather here. So, Kabir, let's start off with you. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Biscayne Bay, positive, negative, like whatever it is that, that you got. Like, what have you witnessed mm-hmm. on the bay, uh, underwater, above water, whatever? And then we'll ask Alex. Sure, yes, yeah, so guys. Let's let's present the problem here. So we have the bay is extremely nutrient polluted. So we have septic septic tanks leaking sewage. There's stormwater runoff. There is flooding. There is wastewater that's not being treated properly that's entering the bay, and it, and it turns the bay into this massive nutrient dump, which proliferates, which allows all these microalgae in the water to proliferate and expand and ma- have these massive, create massive amounts. You can't be using Sorry. words like proliferate in this podcast, okay? <laughs> Unless you're going to explain them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn, what am I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I lose as well as that. I've kind of butchered that, too. <laughs> no, no, it was great. Just explain what the fuck proliferate is. <laughs> We're leaving this in. <laughs> this is gold. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> the algae expands. No. Um, all right, I'm going to redo that. 
All right, guys, so let's, um, let's present the problem of what's going on in Biscayne Bay. So we have septic tanks leaking sewage. There is agricultural runoff, meaning fertilizers and pesticides being due to flooding and hurricanes and everything. It pushes that onto the water. We have wastewater, wastewater that's not being treated properly, and all of those are packed full of nutrients, and they are being pushed into Biscayne Bay. And that creates these massive algae blooms that, when the algae dies off, uh, turns the whole bay anoxic, meaning there's no oxygen left and all the animals die. So I think all of us ex- remember the um, the 2020 uh, clusterfuck that happened in Biscayne Bay where all the manatees died, all the fish were dying, all the rays, the octopus. Red, the red tide uh, situation? The red tide, yeah. The red tide, Karenia brevis. And um, it totally destroyed the bay. And it was a massive wake-up call. And it made us all realize that the bay is extremely fragile and we have to do something about it. Have you noticed anything yourself physically out there? Like, what do you, what have you seen with your own two eyes, like uh, diseased wildlife or, um, I don't know, corals damage, like you said, or right. algae? Like, tell us a, a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Biscayne Bay in its natural state is absolutely <coughs> fucking beautiful. I was stone crabbing with my friend, um, which is just like, you're literally like free diving in like three feet of water. And you stick your hand inside holes to try and grab a crab, and you're hoping that there's no eel in there. You're hoping that you're not going to get pinched. It is just a whirlwind of fun and not fun because yeah, it's also when it's I do really that. hard. When I do it's that, I also really difficult. When I put my and it was insane. <laughs> but anyway, as we were out there diving, literally three feet of water, just these beautiful seagrass beds, nice visibility. There were tons of amazing reef fish around us. There were all these little black grouper, hogfish, mutton snappers, lobsters. There is an immense amount of life that these seagrass ecosystems support. And with all the nutrients that are now entering the waters, we are unfortunately noticing a, um, an ecosystem out of balance. And it's actually shifting the whole thing. It's becoming, it, it's, we're going from seagrass dominated to algae dominated. And that is a, not a good sign for any of the marine life in there. And this is something that our local governments could probably help with, right? With restrictions or fee, uh, penalties or whatever, you know, just act, like the way to actually be able to dump things in the mm-hmm. right locations or, or whatnot. Exactly. Better stormwater management, better wastewater treatment, less use of fertilizers. And uh, what my startup is potentially working on is actually growing seaweed as a natural f- as a natural filter, a process called bioremediation, uh, to clean up the water on its own. Wow, I feel very stupid. So, Alex. <laughs> How am I going to compete with that? I mean, y'all, y'all find something. <laughs> what are some things you've seen out there on the bay? Beautiful, not so beautiful. Like you, you're, you're the out further, there all the time, yeah. The further you get away from the city, the prettier it gets. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense, right? doesn't it? Like, like, and it's, really it's, it's, it's interesting because you, it's crazy to see a lot of these fish still existing in these areas that just look like shit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's, that's really interesting to see. Um, Honestly, I thought that was a really good point, that the further away from Miami you go, yeah. the healthier the bay is, which is a big wake-up call. So I want to talk a, a bit about algae blooms, right? Mm. Essentially explain what algae blooms are, mm-hmm. um, how we can <coughs> avoid the exacerbation of algae blooms. They're, they're a negative thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's some positive and some negative, but there's some that we, I think, through pollution make too much of. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, did, I did my homework a little bit. Yeah, so algae are marine plants, and so they like the same substrates, the same nutrients that plants on land that use. So when we are doing these mass scale, like sugar farming, for instance, up in and around Lake Okeechobee, 
um, all those nitrogen and phosphorus-based fertilizers are leaking into Lake Okeechobee. And then Lake Okeechobee leaks into Port St. Lucie and the bay here and puts in all that nitrogen and phosphorus into the water. Then all the, the algae that are naturally there, but also we're going to point out Karenia brevis, which is the red tide, which is the big one. Mm. Um, they assimilate and they absorb all of those nutrients that all plants love and bloom like mad. And the issue with, with that is that when that process stops, all that algae is there. It no longer has any nutrients, and so it all dies all at once. And that respiration, which is just the opposite of photosynthesis, photosynthesis the, um, the algae are decomposing, and that rips out all the oxygen out of the water and turns it into these massive dead zones of no oxygen areas, which kills everything in the water because everything needs oxygen to breathe. That's okay, pretty clear. Yeah. I think it's I think it's important to note too. I don't know if you've seen like everything going on on the west coast with the red tide there right now. Mm-hmm. No, at, th- at this moment, yeah. I haven't heard so about it it's now. it's like it's the worst it's been so far. There's a Jesus. lot of uh, seen a lot of videos of stuff. Or just right up next to these like mansions on the water is just thousands and thousands of dead fish. Jesus, dude. Everything from little bait fish up into you know the apex predator fish like the tarpon. Um, big Goliath groupers and everything. Goliath? That was like being yeah. Like there, there's one video oh, of these yeah, guys yeah. with the big crane Gosh. pulling the. I saw the, it was massive. So it that's like the kind of stuff that yeah. that can, in turn, affect us as well because all the water from Okeechobee still flows down this way. Your jersey came out water. Oh, did it? Yeah, that's <laughs> the, that's the one that I, that people say it comes out on. Um, no, we just had a similar uh, scenario. I think it was sometime last year. Where our bays here on Biscayne, they were we had people volunteer to pick up so many dead fish. You don't remember? It was this was I think a year ago. Or I think this is ago. that's what he was oh, referring that's what, to that's earlier. What you're referring to earlier, yeah. okay. 2020 fish kill. Okay, yeah. okay, that that. Um, it's fucking nuts. It's man. gonna happen here, like in a couple months, as as all that water works its way down here, the same thing's gonna happen. Well, not just that, but at least like that brings me to the next, uh, I guess, idea. The only question, but the uh, the beaches that we frequent, right? We've been going there for years, and at least I've noticed that every year that brown seaweed, I don't know if it's related to... Sargasm so, weed. So, what is it called? Sargasm. Uh, sarcasm weed. Sarcasm, um, yeah. I don't, I, <laughs> I don't, so it's related. So I noticed that every year just gets worse and worse, and the city just comes and bulldozes it like in the middle of the night, and then uh, the water will be clear for like a week or two tops, and then it'll just start like coming in, in mass more and more. And then when I'm walking down the, um, the park, which overlooks the bay kind of see i'm assuming that's where it's coming from like it's good it's also all over the bay no no that's no different? that that comes off of and he can definitely speak more towards it mm-hmm. but that comes off of uh africa really so, yeah so that's coming that's from just the ocean. coming all the way from africa that's coming from the ocean yeah and oh, that's what you were serious? the sargasm weed Sorry, it comes from the Sargasso Sea in the middle of the Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean. Okay, okay. so yeah. by africa area or whatever well, well no i think just middle of the atlantic okay middle yeah, of the atlantic. yeah okay I mean, that's still fucking far as fuck. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the issue with sargassum is that naturally it is an amazing open ocean habitat. I'm sure you've fished mahi and wahoo off of those all the time. When they're offshore, they create these amazing little ecosystems where it's a place for little fish to hang out, and then bigger and bigger fish are hunting those fish, and it creates this sick, amazing environmental spectacle to win it. So if you're actually diving them, they're beautiful. But with all the 
due to industrial agriculture putting in all the all the nitrogen and all the phosphorus, these nutrients into the ocean, it's actually affected the Sargasso Sea hundreds of thousands of miles offshore because we've now put those nutrients even in the open ocean. And now there's because of that, there's way too much sargassum. There's too much. It is no longer a naturally good thing for the environment. There is too much washing up along shore, and it's even causing baby sea turtles to die because they can't crawl over it. Baby it's an environmental sea turtles, disaster. guys. Baby sea turtles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a serious thing, man. And I think it cost the city like $20 million every <coughs> year just to clean up. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a waste of fucking money when they could just like restrict more like the way you, you know, just be cleaner. So I guess the common thing that I'm really seeing with, and I could be, correct me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of the issues that we're currently facing with our ocean environments or bay environment or health, whatever, is just natural occurring phenomena. S- phenomenon that are being exacerbated by our pollutants. And then that in turn, that exacerbation in turn is just killing everything or just being a, a negative impact on that the health of our... 100%. That's exactly it. We're throwing natural ecosystems and natural phenomena out of balance. Ah, we're losing balance. Gotcha. Okay. And the other thing, too, is that it's it's not just here. It's all connected, right? Because it's water. So water flows and moves between different places. And so what's happening in the, in the Sargassum Sea? Sargasso Sea. Sargasso Sea is, you know, affecting us because of what we're putting into the water here. Same with Lake Okeechobee coming... Um, and all that area dumping the fertilizers into the water, that's going to affect us here. So everything with water is connected to whatever it touches. You know what's something crazy that I learned? Um, so you know how in, in spearfishing and fishing, like a lot of people think it's a good thing once you fillet your fish to throw it back into the ocean because like, uh, you're, you're putting the nutrients back into the ecosystem. So I spoke to this guy that um, is really intelligent, and he did his PhD in nutrient uptake or something to do with nutrients in the ocean. And he called, and I did that, and I posted it on my Instagram. And he called me out, and he said, don't do that. The ocean is now nutrient overloaded. Hmm. And so oh, that goes that's, back to the balance thing. That's nutrient overloaded. So it's actually <coughs> in the ocean's best interest every time you catch a fish and fillet it, to put that fillet or to put the, uh, the carcass, put it in, uh, put it underground. Keep it on land. Even yeah. that. Wow. The total amount of nutrients in the ocean is now too much. So it's a huge thing in our spearfishing community to say that, oh, we're putting the nutrients back into the ecosystem by, by putting the carcass back in. We shouldn't be doing that anymore. It goes back to the balance thing. It can't yeah. be too much, too little. It's got to be just right. Yeah. Like Goldilocks is fucking poison. And that blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. I would have never thought about that. And no one's talking about it. No one's talking about it. Well, we are, we're talking about <laughs> it in this, uh, in this uh, podcast episode. Whatever the fuck I'm running here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, no. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's good to know. Um, I wanted to touch also on, well, before I move forward, what can we do as individuals, right? Besides our government, our local governments actually putting restrictions on here and, and doing their part, I guess, I mean, we could also demand that they do their part. And, you know, um, I saw on Senate for the, for the sea, they were calling out city of Miami because there was a construction crew and they were just throwing like a bunch of, um, sediment or something like Mm -hmm. down the drain. And that's terrible. So there's a lot of like cement. And right. construction dust. Right. That so goes into the canals and then goes into the... So aside from our governments putting more restrictions on things like that, what could we do as individuals that you guys... To protect, to do the best we can. If you want to help out, I think and you live in Miami and you have a yard, I would not use as much fertilizer, as much pesticide. Um, but also, I'm actually starting a startup to use seaweed to clean up this game bay. And if you would just come out and support me, that would also help as well. 
Not gonna lie. Heard it here, guys. Yeah. Support Kabir. Okay. I'd say support Kabir because okay. I think support I believe Kabir. in what he's doing. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean it's it's a that's a really tough question, honestly, because not everybody has a yard on the water, right? So if people want to help, like what can you do? Um, I'll say yard anywhere because the water's gonna go in the storm water and the storm oh, drains true. and then go into the bay either way. Yeah, so, no right. Matter what. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a really good point, and, and it's a tough question to answer. It's one of those things where I think it's really about. Uh, finding the people who are going to make the difference in politics and change that, support them, um, would be a really big thing to do. I think it's the right politicians and the right business leaders because this isn't like, oh, my neighbor Sally put her fertilizer in, all of a sudden the bay's ruined. It's a societal thing. It's an industry-wide issue um, that, that the source stems from. And so as individuals... There's not much we can do on an individual basis, but if we go out and support the big players in the right way, then that's when change really happens. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like with beach cleanups. You know, um, there's like 150 million metric tons of plastic going to the ocean every single year, and if you clean up a beach every day, like, you're not actually having a big net impact, but you're educating yourself, you're educating your neighbors, and that roller coaster snowball has snowball effect into bigger and bigger change, which is why those beach cleanups are actually so powerful. It's the awareness. It's not actually cleaning up the plastic. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that's great to know. Good shit. Um, I wanted to touch next on seagrass, right? Alex mm-hmm. did mention when I uh, thought about doing this episode, um, one of the topics we should speak on was seagrass, and I didn't know anything about it, and I still kind of don't know anything about it. So between you guys, can you, you know, explain to me what it is, why it's important, how we're fucking it up, and how we can stop fucking it up. Basically. Yeah. I mean, he, again, Kabir, can, since this is his forte, probably go more into it. But from <coughs> my limited knowledge of it, uh, seagrasses and uh, kelp and things like that, not that we have that here, but uh, that can actually uh, displace more carbon than the rainforest can. So there's a really, really, you know, I, I found that fact out the other day and I was got really interested in it um, because in order to like neutralize it, we need to do things to neutralize our carbon. Um, that's just a known thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's way too much of it in the atmosphere. And so, but nobody's really looking at seagrasses or things of that nature to do that. And I think it's a, a really good opportunity for us to, to um, look into some of that. That's an excellent point. Seagrasses are one of the biggest um, places of storage for carbon dioxide. We call it blue carbon. How does that work? It's underwater. So literally, it's a plant that photosynthesizes and assimilates carbon dioxide. It uses carbon dioxide to create oxygen, but it wants as much carbon dioxide as it, as it, as it can to grow. So it literally take, takes the carbon, puts it into its biomass, and then just keeps it there. So the water collects the carbon. So and there's, o- it goes so there's oxygen the and there's CO2 mm-hmm. in the water. In the water. Yeah. And so the, the plant uh, literally yeah, just sucks yeah, it up. Yeah. Okay. And, it's rever- and, and if you have a lot, you're reversing climate change, which is why seaweed, again, is so powerful. And so seagrasses are just a type of marine plant. It's a macroalgae. And they support a phenomenally diverse little ecosystem inside this game bay that supports, for one thing, um, the biggest thing for me and for us as fishermen is it supports a lot of the juvenile reef fish use that as a nursery habitat. Mm-hmm. And so it is extremely important that we keep these that ecosystem especially intact because, uh, because every, again, everything in the ocean is connected, as we discussed. If we lose the seagrasses, then all of a sudden all, of our ju- all reef fish are going to end up dying out because there's no place for the juveniles to go. Wow. And in, they're already... Like some a dom- pl- everything's a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. It's, again, shifting things out of balance. And I think it was like something like 90%, in certain areas of Biscayne Bay, already 90% of, of seagrasses have died. So we need to get on this 
fucking now. How? Through the water becomes too saline. There's not enough fresh water input from the canals because it's too polluted. There's too many nutrients coming in. There's a storm water. There's a septic tanks. Um, all of that. Yeah, and, and even people being aware of the areas where seagrass is, is thriving right now and not using it as a sandbar to anchor your boat up at. That's another. Oh, well, that's a big topic we have to address right now, I think. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's another thing. You know, and it is, right, like, it's not the thing that's killing all the seagrasses, but it's something to be aware of, right? How we only have a little bit of it. Me, as, you know, a boats and hose guy, how can I be aware of seagrass, where it's at, and mm -hmm. how to not fuck it up? So definitely with your boat, and you can speak about this more because I don't have one, is you stay within the channels and you make okay, sure... okay. The best boat is your friend's boat. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <that>. <laughs> and, um, okay, so the one thing that I would say to everyone um, who's a boater in Miami, because that's, look, that's a great reason all of, a lot of us come to Miami in the first place is access to the water and being on boats, um, is to be very aware of where the seagrass beds are. It's just the dark patches in the bay. Like if an area is light, it looks like sand, it's sand. If it's darker, then it's seagrass. And because otherwise, what I've seen is a lot of videos of this have gone around on social media now is people running over the seagrass and they get stuck. Yeah. And then they're blasting their engine trying to get through it. And eventually they do, but they wreck and destroy the seagrass that was there beforehand. And that stuff actually takes years, decades, and sometimes never even grows back because yeah. it's very, very fragile. So we have to be really careful about our boat motors. Because they can. So when you recognize it, when you can recognize it through the water, when you're yeah, so you're gonna see it. Yeah, don't you're be in super shallow it. water, and just look for the dark patches and make sure to avoid them. It's really, it's not that hard. Okay. It's not that hard. It's just a couple of idiots that are ruining for the rest of us and are actually destroying the ecosystem in little parts here and there. Oh, so I think good things to know. You know, I hope at least one person sees this and they're like, damn, okay, let me yeah. Just yeah, look out for that shit next time. Yeah, yeah. just be cognizant. You know, there's plenty of patches uh, that yeah. exist where you can just anchor <coughs> up uh, right on sand. Mm -hmm. So with that all being said, I mean, maybe that's the end of this topic. I'm not sure. But is there any more? I want to touch on conscious boating, right? Just being a good boater. What are some steps that we can all do to while we're out there having fun, enjoying our water, enjoying our home, getting drunk? How can we consciously boat? You know, how can we not fucking hit a manatee with a, my fucking propeller and <laughs> kill it? And, you know, how you see all the type of sh that type of shit here. Well, Alex, take it away. One thing. Uh, is not be drunk and drive in the boat. <laughs> it's probably said a good I was <laughs> on the boat and I said I was driving. <laughs> good, the boat. good place to start. Uh, no, um, definitely take your boating safety courses. You know, as as lame as it sounds, it's going to teach you about the water. It's going to teach you what to look for, and it's going to teach you etiquette, um, with the rules. But really, it's it's etiquette too. Um, Which is crazy because sorry to interrupt you, but um, a friend of mine a while back got a, a ticket driving. Um, the boat? Yeah, but then you didn't. He ended up getting his uh, boater's uh, license, but it's it wasn't required. I don't remember why he got so the ticket. So it's it's. I like think it's if you're born after 1986, by law you need to have the boating safety course license, uh, which is stupid because so many people just buy a boat when they're 40, buy a boat when they're 50, you know, and mm -hmm. just get out there and they think that there's no rules. They think uh, they can do whatever they want because there's no guardrails, right? But uh, there is um, a great value into just knowing that you're not going to be an asshole out there, you know, of, of the right way to approach a marker, what the markers mean, things like that, what the warning signs are, the hazardous areas. And um, yeah, and, and, and it's also safety, you know, not hurting anyone. I was at the sandbar just this weekend. 
uh, anchored up with my girlfriend, hanging out, and a boat just comes plowing through, probably 20 yards away from us, almost on full plane in like a foot and a half of water. One, the guy's going to get stuck. So <laughs> I'm, I'm yelling, I'm like, grass, hey, slow down, slow down. Grass, yeah. And it was very close to his seagrass area. And I'm like, hey, slow down, slow down. And he's like yelling at me back just to yell because on boats, that's what people do. They just yell at each other. And, and uh, I was legit, like he was going to wake my boat out and everything. But more than that, he was going to hurt the people on his boat. You know, he hits the ground and somebody hits their head or something. You know, Walking anything wild, can happen. Dude. I mean, yeah, there's accidents out there. All yeah. There. That's wild, man. Any other boating? That's pretty much it. Um, Be cognizant of manatee zones. Oh, yeah. Manatee wake, wake zones. Zone, wake zones, right? Yeah. A lot of signs you'll see, too, like particular times of year. I, I like this that they do that. And um, I don't know if they do it here, but I know up in Fort Lauderdale on the intercoastal up there, uh, there's particular times of year that they know the manatees are there. So there's certain zones during those times of years where it's slow speed. And then when they know the manatees aren't typically there, you can run. Right. So it's it's cool to understand that balance of, um, you know, how we can interact with uh, the environment around us in a really safe way. Awesome. It's important, man. Come on. Let's do our job. Let's do our part, man. This is our this is our home. We got to take care of it. Right. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention, you know, since we're all on social media all the time, um, I personally have been following for a while uh, two Miami pages. Uh, I think the second is also Miami page that, you know, you could just keep on your feet, you know, just to see what's going on with our bay and just to kind of like be like, you know, um, Kabir and Alex said, be cognizant of what's going on around us. And it's one of them is Miami Waterkeeper. So at Miami Waterkeeper. Mm -hmm. And the second one is at send it for the sea. The four is up number four. So send it number four in the sea. Um, follow these pages, you know, stay, just keep it there in the back of your mind. So at least you, you know, run into it and see what's going on. Um, do you guys know any other pages or things that people could follow just to kind of like... I think um, there's one called Clean This Beach Up. Okay. And it's a grassroots movement here that's, you know, they post beach cleanups and things like that uh, all around Miami. So it's not... Sometimes they're in South Beach. Sometimes they're up by 79th Street. So you follow them and see when they're going to be in your area and go support, you know, start cleaning this place up because a little bit goes a long way. And, it, and yeah. it's true to what you said before about... You know, when people see you clean up trash, they want to clean up it's their the trash, awareness. too. It's yeah. kind of like when you're in traffic and you give a bum a dollar, and then, like, every other car, like, feels like, damn, I yeah. didn't give them a dollar, so let me just give them a dollar. Like, you start kind of like a domino effect. Not everybody, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, man, I was on the coast, uh, I was on the coast in, in India <laughs> a couple of months ago. It was where I'm from, and uh, there was, it's India, so there's plastic on the beaches everywhere it's awful and people just walk by and don't care but as soon as my mom and i started we, had, we we took this bag we started cleaning up all of a sudden everyone literally everyone on the beach was picking it up picking it up so it just awesome, takes dude. one person to get started and i do want to shout out to rachel Sil- silverstein the miami Waterkeeper. they are a brilliant ngo that is doing all the hard science to get us the data, data that we need to clean up this game base so they are the real deal miami Waterkeeper is definitely the ngo to, w- to look out for when it comes to cleaning up this game bay and making us all aware of what's going on I learned a lot through their website, so thanks, Rachel. Rachel Silverstein. Rachel yeah, Silverstein. yeah, she's great. Thank you. Um, hey, one thing I wanted to mention, too, just because we were talking a little bit about plastic pollution. I was talking to a friend the other day who, uh, they were in France, and I never knew this, but France, the um, the area she was in that's on the coast, the all the businesses are not allowed to have plastic. 
Really? Yeah. So kind of like the that. beach that stopped yeah. uh, plastic straws. Like now you can't. Sure. Yeah, but like this similar. is like no uh, single-use plastics, which is amazing. Yeah, and you, I don't know you, how you, you adapt something of, like that. Yeah, but, 100%. Uh, I think that could be really cool and something to push for. Specifically, yeah, in those coastal cities. Like yep. yeah, Marina Beach. That's actually a great idea. Listen up, Francis Suarez and the rest of you. Or he's not even the mayor of Miami Beach. Dan, Dan Gilbert, whatever your name is. <laughs> um, there's also that sparked in me. Um, there was another company that I heard of years ago and actually bought some of their merchandise just to donate. Um, they're called Plastic Bank. I don't know okay. if you've ever heard of them. No. So they're, they're actually really, really cool. <clears throat> so what Plastic Bank does is they set up in third world countries, India, Haiti, things like that, where that issue that you spoke of, that there's a lot of trash and plastic on the beach. And when they set up, they kind of provide jobs for the locals that don't have jobs. So they basically tell the locals, hey, go pick up plastic, right? Whatever amount of plastic you bring me, you, you bring that back and we give you, not, I don't know if it's actual currency, or the equivalent. So we'll give you Wi-Fi for like this amount of, of plastic that you, so it's encouraging like the locals that, you know, to, to pick up their own home, their own mm -hmm. homes and their home areas, and you're still working and receiving back some sort of like, currency or service or something. So I, I thought that was such a great idea because you're incentivizing the, your own people to, their own yep. people to, you know, be part of it and, and they work and they're getting something back. So it's awesome. Plastic bank, plastic bank. <laughs> Another another page, too, to mention um, Captains for Clean Water. Okay. It's an organization here in Florida. They're based, I think, in Tallahassee. And they do a lot of the work with the algae blooms and things like that. That's happening in Lake Okeechobee. So they're, they're, they're really on it and um, definitely very informative content. Okay. Good to know. Captains for what? Clean Water. Captains for Clean Water. Okay. I'll follow them on. That's a dope name. Yeah. yeah. Anything else, guys? Good? Stay safe. Stay safe. Thank you guys for coming and joining. Viva Cuba Libre. We, uh, we scheduled this episode like four times in a row and <laughs> shit just kept coming up. So <laughs> finally. But it's episode 13, so there you go. That's why. Yeah. Superstition. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you guys. Hopefully this, I think, you know, at least someone will, will change their perspective on things. So Awesome. All right. That's all the time we got for today. Thank you for tuning in. I'll try and keep the episodes more current. Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. Um, have a, yourselves a good day. And as always, no se meta con nadie para que nadie se las meta. Have a good one.